calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. My name is Aram. My name is Dylan. We can't tell you our last names, or even what city we are in. If we did, they could find us. And that would be the end of the show. We're sending this message so that more people can learn the truth. Maybe then, somehow, the human race can survive until the Andalites return and rescue us. Until then, we will be discussing each book in the Animorph series as I read them for the first time. And I'll be guiding this journey as I reconnect with stories I read a long time ago. Welcome to Podspeak. How do we feel about our first Axe book? Conflicted. But before we get into that, I've had one big question that shot into my head and has lived there for a couple weeks. A couple weeks? You read this book like fucking five days ago. It was germinating and then all of a sudden hit me when I read this particular one. Go back to book one. The Prince Andalite. His ship is shot down. He stumbles out wounded. He has time to get the cube talk to the kids, explain everything. The other ship comes down. There's a few moments. There's a conversation. Why, oh why, during that entire time, did that Andalite not transform and heal itself? There's no reason why Andalites should ever be in a wounded state. It doesn't make any sense. I think it's because morphing takes time. A minute. Like it, partially, partially it's a plot, it's a plot hole, right? Right. He came out, and if you don't know how long you have, if you know you're going to terrify these fucking little dirt people who have never seen aliens before, you're not going to suddenly shapeshift. You're going to stumble out. Like, he stumbled out immediately, explained the whole thing, was like, get the cube. And then when he got the cube, he was like, all right, so here's the deal. The cube is going to let you morph. Don't freak out about it. Just take the fucking cube. It's going to be fine. Don't turn into a bird and hang out for two hours. That would be a stupid thing to do. Direct eye contact with all four eyes. Don't get stuck as a bird. He has to do that whole conversation fairly above board. And then it was immediately that the controllers show up. And you're right. If he had morphed, he would have been completely fine. But all of the controllers showed up with guns and morphing takes an amount of time. 
he had a minute in that time spared easily. There was easily a minute for him to turn. Now, maybe he's so wounded, he was simply incapable of it. He tried, he couldn't, and this was his desperation move. Maybe he didn't have a minute, and also maybe he didn't have, maybe it wasn't going to take a minute. Like, if you're tremendously injured, we've talked a couple of times about how it could take longer. It takes longer. It's incredibly taxing. Like, morphing is a tiring thing to do. Right. Like, maybe he actually just couldn't pull it off. And you can't have a little line in there because you haven't introduced the idea enough. Exactly. And also, you don't have a way to convey the Andalite's thoughts. Like, you're not going to give us what Alfangor thinks because we're talking through Jake. That whole thing. And then the moment the controllers have eyes on them, you can't morph anymore. Because the moment you start morphing, you die in a hail of bullets. Right. I agreed. Yeah. No, I get you. Visser 3 wants to gloat, but also Visser 3 wants to win. So you're going to shoot that fucker the moment he stops having the right number of eyes. I did like that he got that one stab off. I was always happy about that. All right. But back to book eight and X. Okay. Uh, I like the X book. I did like the Axe book. Uh, Axe is a frustrating character at times. Yes. I also really like the fact that they bothered to give him like flashbacks. Like this structurally is a very different book. It is of a piece with the rest of them, but it doesn't read like any of the other books. Like there, we're not doing this whole thing where he has to go out and acquire a morph. He acquires one morph in this entire thing and it's a flippant, like, whoopsie-daisy gesture. We're not going to bother with the full summary and order, because quite frankly, a lot of it is just sort of a character study leading up to the big action set at the end. There's a couple important things. Like, in the beginning, we talk about how people, like, Yurks are starving, and it's starting to break out, and people are starting to be exposed. And when that happens, so another controller shows up with some steel canister, presses it against their neck, assumedly killing both person and Yerk. When we see this, it's with Axe going to the movie theater with the other Animorphs. They're just going to watch Star Trek, and he's having a decent time. He thinks it's silly uh, because they're wrong about the names of these species. That's not a Vulcan. That's a whatever the fuck it was. And then, of course, he eats food, goes insane, and they have to drag him out of the movie theater. And they see the Yerk having the breakdown. And everybody watches this, and they see him put the little canister and do the little injection and the guy goes limp, and all of them go like, oh, are they taking him prisoner? And Axe just goes, yeah. Yeah, they're taking him prisoner. Let's go with that. A lot of lying by omission with Axe, because Axe isn't allowed to say anything. Yeah. So we're going to cut forward a little bit and just give the punchline to this. There is the most important law in Andalite's society is called Ciro's Kindness, named after Prince Ciro, who one day came upon a planet of sad little pathetic creatures who were, you know, stuck on their planet and there wasn't much going on there and they didn't have anything like any great technology. So he gave them access to interplanetary travel. And it was just a kindness, elevating them, letting them get off their home world and explore the greater galaxy. And of course, that moved from the initial planet that they started on to the Hork-Bajir homeworld and then the Taxon homeworld, and across the fucking galaxy, and that was the beginning of the Yerk Plague. The Andalites are the reason the Yerks are a problem. That is why there is so much fucking hatred between them, because the Andalites let them do this, 
and immediately realize it is our responsibility to murder the fuck out of these things. Most hate does come from guilt. So that was well-placed. And then the Andalites developed this new rule of we don't tell anyone fucking anything. They develop first contact rules. Yeah, you don't give them technology. You don't tell them how things work. You don't tell them about our history. Nothing. To the point where he's not allowed to share any strategy with them or any information about the Yerks, which is crazy. That is to a point where it's just, what is the point? Why are you even here then? They do all of this. And it is all just them hanging out. We're doing little flashbacks and getting pieces of uh, Axe's childhood, his relationship with his brother. His brother was a soldier who was out on the front when Axe was born. He was raised as an only child, and then his brother came back. You know, you have that always, the risk of, like, the hero coming home and suddenly you're not important anymore. But his big, important fucking war prince brother came back and was like, hey, how you doing, kid? immediately kind treats him like another person his parents love his brother but it doesn't diminish that and he immediately just is infatuated like his brother becomes his idol prince alfangor sounds like a saint yeah he sounds like a lovely person and uh he's dead now so whatever uh but we're gonna see more of him right there's gonna be yeah, an there's alfangor gonna be, book at there's some gonna point. be more of him in all the future books when he comes back from the dead Oh, really? Don't tell me that. Don't tell me those I things was we're lying. doing. Oh, okay. No, there, there it's is completely a... completely believable. There's a Chronicles book, uh, a book that is just Elfangor's actual story. That's cool. But aside from the prequel, no, the motherfucker's dead. Yeah. His story's over. But yeah, no, he is a lovely guy, and Axe had a great childhood, and at one point... We get that the rest of the Animorphs are slowly getting suspicious. Like, they started off with, we don't know anything about this guy. Like, why should we trust him? And he's like, well, he's desperate, you know, and Jake wants to trust him. And then Marco, like, takes him to a bookstore. He's just like, look, you won't tell us anything about you. Here you go. We have a budget. Buy some fucking books. Learn whatever you want unsupervised about humanity. We're an open book. And then Jake thought that maybe if we give you this courtesy, maybe you'll realize that we can be trusted. And that's not how it works, because, of course, it's this deep-seated guilt thing, and he doesn't fucking tell him. It's not about trust. It's about loyalty and responsibility. Yeah. At least from Axe's point of view, it's about responsibility and, uh, and again, about this, like, I mean, he's been on, on Earth long enough to know that humans aren't exactly peaceful and the idea of giving us space weapons and spaceships probably is really bad. And this is one of his major concerns. When he finally, like, breaks and tells them all of this, like, and it does, it takes until the end of the book to get it out of him. But when we finally get to the end, his concern was, oh, no, you, you discovered flight. And then 60 years later, we're on your moon. You discovered nuclear fusion and then dropped an atomic bomb within 50 years. You're terrifying. No one does that. You guys are moving way too fast. Like if the Yerks take humanity, the galaxy is doomed. We're just so industrious. So here's the thing. It's not even industrious. I do like the, the two unique things they give humanity in this 
are there are so fucking many of us just earth is weirdly populated followed by it's not even that we're industrious we ask why yes we question everything yeah so we just keep researching things and we just dig into it when we find a problem we solve it and we take it to its logical extreme like it's the sort of thing you see fucking tumblr posts about right like why are humans fascinating well because aliens when we looked at things we saw we saw a problem and we solved it meanwhile you know you've got the alien under or the human under alien command on another planet like, ah ensign what are you looking into trying to find out uh what the chemical makeup of this rock is why, why would you do that want to know what it is what do you fucking mean for no other reason than just answering the question like do you know what it's made of no no one knows what it is it's the rocks from those planets okay well i'm gonna know i do like the idea of a group of people that just like things just are and we don't need to know more about it because it just is yeah we investigate information because he said something about like when andalites discovered flight to get from discovering flight to getting to space was hundreds of years and humanity did it in a lifespan yeah like just because we were like okay so we can fly well how far can we get then can we get up there oh there's a point where it stops having air and all of the rules of flight stop working so all we need to do is get past that and then we'll be in a new thing yeah and we can go land on the rock over there <laughs> we're pretty sure we can hit that we've done a lot of math and that's the thing is like it's where the Andalites are right. Because at the end of the day, why did we land on the moon? To show up the Russians. Yeah, we, we looked at the moon and we were, everybody on the planet was like, I bet we could get there. And the Russians were like, I bet we can get there fast. And the Americans were like, like motherfucker, no, you, you, you can get there fast. I'll show you fucking getting there fast. After they launched Sputnik, man, we're like, we are never going to lose again. Like, no, no, no. They got into space. We're going to get onto something in space first, fuckers. And that's it. Yeah, and we're going to plant a flag. We are going to pack a flag into the limited <laughs> gear we can carry. And not a small flag, mind you, a, a proper flag with a big-ass pull. We launched a fucking, we launched a goddamn Uber Eats driver into space to deliver a flag. That was it. Yeah, that's all we did. Grab some rocks and deliver a flag. They literally just hopped around for a while and were like, hey, we're here. Hey, we're here. We got here. Cool. We got some rocks. We'll bring them back. And what we learned was that the, the moon is very, very fine dust. And the rocks are the same rocks we got here. They also brought a golf club and a golf ball up there and did one shot. Which just illustrates how fucking useless going there was, was they were like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Bring a golf club. We'll fucking play around while we're there. <laughs> Why not? Be the only guy to ever play golf on the moon. Yeah. So I, like I said, just this idea of human industriousness, uh, of human like discovery and that rate being unique in the universe makes a lot of sense to me in ways that like the usual like, oh, humans are humans have ingenuity. We're so adaptable. Like, no, we're not. We're dumb bastards who won't stop asking why. You know, that kid who gets annoying because they keep going, why, why? That's us to every other alien. They're like, yeah, so uh, we're just going to, we we can speak to people across the galaxy. We just have to open a tunnel through Z-Space. It's like, how does Z-Space work? I don't need to know that for my job. Well, why don't, they just, they didn't just tell you? Why don't you? Why don't you know that? Yeah. Do you know how the internet works? Like, not exactly, but I know it's like, it goes through the wires. It's got tubes. It goes through the tubes. 
there's some signal processing and we use fiber optics nowadays. Uh, we used to use wires. It was a problem because the wires were too slow because they were limited by electron speeds. So when we switched to fiber optics, you could send the signal with photons instead. Enough of us can answer that question. Yeah, like it's I would say that that level of detail to the answer is not necessarily common, but it wouldn't be like shocking. Even if folks couldn't answer that question, I would say the bulk of our listenership heard me say that and was like, I couldn't necessarily say it, but I know the thing you yeah. just said. The bulk of our listenership. Yes, because our listenership is smart. But I'm also reminded that that uh, egg and the the egg and the cup and the piece of paper thing went viral recently. So you see that and you're like, do they really understand the concepts? Look at who it is, though. It was everyone. So what Aram is talking about is there was this whole thing where people were claiming there was a glitch in the simulation because you could put a piece of paper on a mirror yes. and an egg on the piece of paper. And if you looked from a certain angle, you could see the mirror, the egg in the mirror, despite the fact that the mirror should not be able to see the egg because there's a piece of paper in the way. That's the thing. That's how it was always phrased. How can the mirror see the egg? First that's of all, how mirrors work. that's not what's happening. That's not how mirrors work. How but we all learned about bouncing light. We all learned about this in like fifth. I learned about this in fifth and sixth grade in ye yeah. olden times. Okay. So there's no way they didn't go over this at some point and just basic curiosity and just thinking about it. But if you move around where things are taught, that is a bit of trivia, right? Like it isn't relevant. If your understanding of mirrors is light hits the mirror and then it sends the image back to you, if you don't make the attachment of reflection because you're thinking of looking at something straight on and it bounces back to you, you don't get that law of like incident angle equals reflected angle. It's not stupid. No. It's a gap in knowledge. It's a gap in knowledge. Agreed. But it's a gap that we covered is the problem. If I give you a system of two linear equations with two variables, could you solve it? No, I could not. And I know that I know that I've got over that. But yes, I see what you're saying. Everybody has shit that they were taught. But this is a very simple, you know, non-abstract concept. No, it is. You can see it. You can do it. It's one of those things. You can literally just touch the mirror and see where that path goes. You get a laser or a flashlight. You could literally create a little science experiment to solve this just by logicking it out. If you had a laser pointer, yes. You can't do it with a flashlight because the light isn't immediately visible. You're not going to do it in a dark room. And honestly, these kids, you could you could do it and it would be really cool. It would be a neat little experiment. But you're setting up a science experiment and you're right. Like maybe like this is a little bit dumb. But the threshold of dumb you have to get to to not reach I could do a science experiment to figure this out is pretty high, actually. I would say most people are not going to do experimentation. Fair. But even if you're not doing that, okay, what I do expect is you to go, okay, I don't understand this. Something else logical must be at play, not I've found a glitch in the matrix. I think that's the part that bothers me the most. This is, this is where I think there's a transition point. That conversation would have started as a joke like deja vu is a glitch in the matrix i found a glitch in the matrix the mirror is broken except what you're actually doing is like this is a social google right like i'm posting this this is weird i don't know how this works it's like like the how can the mirror tell that it's there the simulation's busted we live in the matrix 
Like, it's a fucking joke. Yeah. And then there are some people who are conspiracy theorists and people who actually believe we live in a simulation and they take it and run with it and it becomes a huge thing and everybody goes, look at the failure of our education system because these kids don't know how about the laws of reflection. And I'm like, that, that kid is 16. You taught them that when they were 12, they forgot it because nobody cares and they haven't taken grade 12 physics yet, which is when you actually take optics and we would cover this in any level of detail. I do forget that my autism will just like, it'll preference right. little bits of knowledge that are fun like that. I like the knowledge that is a clear, simple explanation. It'll just sit there forever. I recognize that I'm more drawn to that than most people are. So cut the fucking kids some slack. Okay. Some some of them are dipshits and assholes, but some of them are just like, it's a fun thing. And if you don't know how it works, it's interesting. And some of them are going to learn. Yeah. No, I hear you. That makes absolute that, that makes absolute sense. And you can laugh at them a little bit, but don't fucking be an asshole about it. No, that's that's the thing. What I liked is the people who then immediately explained themselves. Yes. They were like, "Hey, that's really here's good. how you can understand here, it. Yeah. No judgment. Here's the path it's taking. Just I'm gonna start with the five seconds of yours and then do my little like, hey, actually, here's your answer. Yeah. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. We're just talking about acts and how acts is lying by omission. Yes. That stress and guilt is building on him and the frustration is building with the rest of the group. And eventually, acts is the one who triggers the mission. Before they go to the library with Marco, acts is at Marco's house while Marco's just picking up his wallet. He talks to Marco's dad. They do a goofy little fucking who's on first while they're there. I liked that. Yeah. I thought that was a lot of fun. It was, it was cute. Uh, it's just, you know, my dad is going to show up. If he asks you any questions, yes or no answers only. Do not talk to the man. Shows up like, hey, are you are you one of Marco's friends? Yes. What's your name? 
No. no. Your name is no. Yes. Yes. We do that bit. <laughs> but before we talk to his dad, he's standing there. He's looking at the computer. His dad is a software engineer for a uh, for an infrared telescope. Or uh, no, his radio telescope. He's looking at the computer and his dad's software is up there. And he's just like, oh, well, this is silly and wrong. And he just types a couple of things. And of course, later he comes back and the next time he talks to the Animorphs is Marco coming over and going, Axe, what the fuck did you do? It's like, what? I just, your dad had that, that game up. What game? He was playing that game where you find the errors in the code. They were quite obvious. It's like, that wasn't a game that was work. Oh, oh, your dad works making educational games for children? No, that was human science. And he stops and goes like, oh, my God, they are so fucking backwards. Like yeah, he didn't know. And Axe has accidentally catapulted science 300 years into the future. When it's far enough in the past, those 300 years can just kind of blend together where it doesn't seem that different to you. God, was it the fax machine existed while we had cowboys actually doing Wild West shit? Right. And that's because that's what we needed. Maybe the Andalites, maybe they were more prone to develop communication technology before other forms and they just got there faster. I don't even mean necessarily the order things were developed in. I just mean like that's a piece of context people don't have for technology. Like we invented the light bulb while Wyatt Earp was alive, if I'm not mistaken. Like those two things coexisted. It's very easy to get your technological timeline completely fuckled. Cleopatra? is much closer to our time than when the pyramids were built. There's all those little anachronistic things that just don't seem right, but are true. Yeah, so if you just look and you're like, ah, well, they have code. They're looking into space. Well, that's silly. They're using radio waves. Let's just alter that. There you go, Z-space. That was a mistake. As they're explaining that, they're like, no, no, no. He showed it to his guys at the, at the telescope. They recognized the fucking advancement that this would provide. They're going to enact it. If the Yerks see that code, they will recognize that humanity shouldn't have figured that out yet. And you fucked us. You put a big target on them. We need to break into the fucking uh, observatory and get that back. And so Axe basically decides he's going on a solo mission because when they explain all this, he starts making the connections. of They're using a radio telescope. Why would you use radio waves for a telescope? That's amateur bullshit. Uh, and then he slowly starts making the connection of, I can turn this into a communications array. Right. I can talk to my people and tell them I'm here. E.T. can phone home. You know, he has the whole conversation with Tobias. We get the start of the Axe-Tobias friendship, uh, which is fantastic. Yeah, I like it too. There's not a whole lot to talk about in this book for it. They just are starting to bond, and it's cute. It makes sense that the two outsiders would now bond. Bird Boy and fucking Hooves, man. They're weirdos. They're going to have to hang out. Axe and Tobias break in separately before the Animorphs go in. And Axe is just going to use the telescope to try to phone home. And he does. And it works. Unfortunately for him. He calls home. And one of the first things he does is he talks to people. And he's just like, hey, listen, here's what's going on. The Yerks are here. The, uh... The dome ship has been dropped. Everyone is dead. Like, he gets to talk to his dad a little bit, which is fantastic. He gets to deliver the news about his brother dying. 
and we get the fun bit of uh, Andalite culture, it is your responsibility if someone kills someone in your family to do a revenge killing if you are the oldest living son. So it is Axe's moral responsibility to kill Visser 3 now. Which is a death sentence for him because that kid cannot stand up to Visser 3. He's a fucking child. Yeah, I'm starting to see why the Andalites are losing this war. Like, let's ignore all of the morphing bullshit and all of the goddamn, like, technology. A fucking 40-year-old soldier who's killed many people. A 12-year-old. Yeah, a 40-year-old soldier who's killed many people and you could argue enjoys killing people. Yeah. And yes, they're dumb, but in a physical fight... That's not important. Right, exactly. They, they, they have very smart muscles. Yeah. And that's what counts in a fight. One of the first little bits of disillusionment with Andalite society for Axe, when basically the Andalite president shows up, it's like, okay, tell me what happened. And he goes through the whole thing of like, you know, Elfangor is dead. He crashed. He gave the, uh, we've been fighting back, me and some of the humans, they've been using the morphing technology. How'd they get the morphing technology? It's like, well, El- Elfangor gave it to him on the death bet, on his deathbed. Like, You're saying Elfangor broke the law of Ciro's kindness. That sounds like the sort of thing that would ruin a man's reputation of Elfangor's statue. It doesn't really sound like the sort of thing someone like Elfangor would do. Now, if there was a single little cadet, a child really, trapped on the planet alone, and he made a mistake, that, you know, is the sort of thing that you could recover from, and it wouldn't damage anyone's reputation, right? Go throw yourself on the sword, 14-year-old. Max has to sit there and go like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I gave them the morphing power. It's at this point where they have the whole conversation about why that law is important and like why it really matters. It turns out that the, I can't remember the word they use for it, so I'm going to just keep calling him the president. President basically tells him like, no, I served under Ciro. He was my prince. And I remember the Hork-Bajir War. I was there. And they fell. Like, these things happen. You cannot break our laws just to save humanity. Sometimes planets fall to the Yurks. And Axe is left sitting there going like, yeah, but you didn't break the laws to help them. You didn't break the laws to help the Hork-Bajir. The Yurks are winning because we broke a, we didn't have the law. So, But, like, effectively, we broke the law. And then the Hork-Bajir lost because we didn't. And now we're sitting there with another species that might die out. And you're telling me, no, 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 don't break the law again. Like, maybe that's our last fucking shot. How is it helping us at this point? It's kind of like, why swallow the spider to catch the fly? But yeah, at this point, like, they're just going to win and roll over everyone and kill you. And then there's nothing stopping them from taking over the universe. Right. This becomes a little bit moot because Axe gets the last conversation he has is with his father. And is the reinforcement of, you have to go kill Visser 3. Right. His dad doesn't say this because his dad doesn't know it was Visser 3 that did it. His dad just knows his brother was murdered. You have to avenge his death. He doesn't let on that it's Visser 3 because he... Axe never says anything about it. So his dad is just like, he runs through the... He even talks about it. Like, the conversation they have is a scripted ritual conversation. And after that conversation ends, he immediately goes to, I love you. I'm so glad you're okay. Yeah. 
so it's one of those things where honestly my read on it is I don't think his dad cared about it. I don't think Axe is necessarily supposed to get revenge. Right. But his dad had to go through those things. This is the thing we say, but he's a 14 year old and doesn't necessarily grasp that. To him, ritual is law. Yeah. It just kind of fits the same place for him. So of course he's going to follow it. Immediately after that, the call gets shut off because of course there was a yerk in the goddamn observatory. Of course he knew. He basically holds Axe at gunpoint and lets him know that, you know those people who have been dying? Visser 3 has been selective. Visser 3 has been choosing who lives and who dies based on who is important. And my spouse was not important. Yeah. So you're going to go kill him for me. Finally, we get a yerk acting on their own to undermine what's going on. I was waiting for that to happen. Sort of. So here's the thing. When you talked about that initially, you you asked me, were we ever going to meet a good yerk? Right. This is not a good yerk. This is a murderer. This is a yerk that wants personal revenge yes. within their system of murder, has no love for the Andalites, would easily kill them in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Like, this is not a good person, but this is a person who lost someone, and that was important enough that he's willing to kill Visser Three. He's willing to make a deal with the devil in order to take this guy out. The deal becomes, yeah, they have to track people back and forth to, you know— feed them with the Candrona. And also, Visser 3 has to eat. We get the reveal in this book of how uh, Andalites eat. They eat by running, and as they run, their hooves uh, macerate the grass, and they can choose to take up uh, material at that point. Question about that. Yes. If Visser 3 can feed in animal form, why don't all the people just feed in human form? Two separate things. You need the Candrona to feed the Yerk. Right. And then you need a burger or the body will die. I see what you're saying. You have to feed yeah. both. Visser 3 is being fed via Candrona. Aloran, the Andalite, right. is being fed via running on some grass. Has to do both. Yeah. Gotcha. You got to keep the body alive and the slug alive. So Okay. So hang on. When Axe transforms into a boy and eats a lot. Does that count as food for his Andalite self? I don't know. <laughs> okay, I don't know either. I, who cares? I, I care a little bit. I care about this shit. It's a valid question, but the answer, quite frankly, is uh, morphing violates conservation of mass. And now right. you're going to ask me, what happens, to, what happens to the food material that's inside his body when he morphs? Well, what happens to the fucking tusks when he stops being an elephant? What happens to the wounds? No, I got you. Stuff happens. Each body needs its own food. Just shut up for a bit, okay? I do like the idea of them having to, like, change into each of their morphs every day just to get a bite to eat. (laughs) While out talking to Tobias during this book, uh, Axe acquired a rattlesnake. Good move, by the way. It bit him on the hoof because he was too close and Axe was like, oh God, kill it. Or sorry, Tobias was like, oh God, kill it. And Axe was like, are you kidding me? I don't have fucking earth, earth morphs. There's fucking bonus points. Yeah. And grab the snake. Jesus Christ. I grab a venomous creature. Yeah. Hell yes. And of course he immediately uses it. He's given the location where uh, Visser 3 goes to, to graze, I guess. To graze with his feet. Yeah. To feet graze. And he just turns into a fucking snake. Waits for him. 
He bites Visser 3. He does the tail rattle thing by accident first. Yeah. He alerts him he's there because he, he just can't control the tail. And then as soon as he realizes that, he strikes him. He strikes. He bites Visser 3. Twice. Poisons him. He gets a second one in. Apparently the snake is so fast that the end light tail can't quite hit him. And then he books it. He thinks he's like he might get away, except one of the Hork Bezier guards nearly gets him. Go, Dasik. Be kill Sarif. And one of the last conversations he had with Tobias was letting him know, like, hey, listen, I have to go do this thing. Don't tell him. Tell him I'm sorry. Tell him I'm sorry that I had to do this. So he is about to die. He's about to hit this Hork Bezier. And then a grizzly bear rolls, roars. And then the Hork Bezier flies dozens of feet. And Rachel's like, all right, let's fucking do this, boys. <laughs> We're here to help you kill this bastard. What are you kidding? We're not going to miss out on this party. Tobias flies by, helps him. Axe morphs back into the Andalite. He's like, Tobias, I'm very mad at you. And Tobias is like, oh, no, you're very mad at me. You're not dead. Shut up. <laughs> I like Tobias a lot. This is very matter of fact. That was not me being flippant. The statement was more or less exactly. Tobias, I'm very angry with you. They slaughter a couple of Hork Bezier. It goes fine. They go over. Axe is about to kill him. And then he stops. Something's wrong. And Prince Aloran oh, says, no, do it. It's like Tobias is saying, like, fuck, fuck, I lost him. Like, what do you mean? Like, Visser 3 jumped out of the head. He went into the river. He's gone. I have no fucking clue where he is. Amphibious slugs, what are you going to do? Yeah. And they get a conversation with Visser 3's body, who begs them to kill him. Oh, it's such a bad place for everyone to be in. That went so wrong. And immediately, Axe is like, I, I don't think I can do it. I, don't, I can't just kill a prince. They can't bring him with them. He's too big and he's poisoned, so they can't move him easily. They're sitting there going like, I'm sorry, I bit you. The snake was venomous. It's like, no, they're going to be here within minutes. Like, it, They'll it was save not, the body. It was not poisonous enough. I won't. I'm not going to die. You need to kill me. And Axe is like, I, I can't. It's like, all right. My wife and my daughter are still out there. Tell them I love them. And we know that they're going to get that body back. Oh, yeah. Like, Visser 3 is going to get that body back. And that, oh, that poor guy, man. That poor guy. They leave him there in the meadow. And they should have killed him. I mean, like, I know it's terrible. I know and it's terrible, kids, but... Right? Like, that's the major thing that we got to keep in mind. But they condemned him to that fate. They've killed more people. And that guy had to die because now he's a huge weapon against that them. That moral calculus is beyond them. I know, but it shouldn't be beyond Axe. I was surprised about that. Here's the thing, though. We talk about Axe being sort of a war cadet. His brother is a soldier. He aspires right. to be a soldier. He isn't even like he's just training. He's not in the part of boot camp where we break down your personality and turn you into a murder machine where you can accept the fact that you're just going to have to kill people. Right, and that's really only in Marine boot camp, because I'll tell you, we never did that in Navy boot camp. He still thinks about these people as, like, blowing up other ships or killing yurks, killing combatants, having at his feet an Andalite prince. Like, specifically, one of the types of people that he grew up worshipping, that is his idol, sitting there telling him, like, 
hey, you have to kill me. That's a fucking new beast. That is not something he is equipped to handle. It's much more easier to push a button and watch something explode yeah. than it is to drive your own tail sword into something's throat. So they let it slide. They all go back and they finally get the explanation of like, no, 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 this is what's going on. It's Ciro's kindness, you know. We finally get the full story of like, no, the reason the Yerks are out there is because of the Andalites. And everybody's sitting there all like, yep, nope, that checks out. Okay, cool. Then you, we're good. We're good. We get why you were cagey. We now know the thing. And like one of the things he even mentions, like as they're having this conversation is like, this is what Ciro's kindness is. It's the fact that the Yerks exist. It is our fault. And they're horrified by that. But they're also like... You know, you couldn't have known. Like, there's no way that you could, honestly, with what the Yerks are. Yeah, yeah, you could have. Yeah, you fucking could have. They, you should have seen were that a parasite. coming. Like, if you yeah. if you had given space travel to say humanity, and it turned out that we were specifically a warlike race, and we went out and waged war, harder to predict. Right. They're a parasite that takes over things' brains. What did you think they were going to do when they found something cool with brains? I mean, they, they were already controlling the little yeah. monkeys on their planet. What did you think was going to happen? Ignoring that. Let's we'll fucking yeah. leave it be. Uh, Fair. But yeah, it was like, no, no, no. You were, you were kind and you were wrong. That doesn't mean you should never be kind again. Right. Exactly. That was in response to Axe having said like, yeah, so that was the law of Ciro's kindness. And now here I am. And if... If the Yerks win, and you're out there as a weapon, you will be the reason for the law of Aximili's kindness. Right. That will be what my name means. And they were just like, yeah, no, sure. You're right. Sometimes people fuck up. Sometimes it doesn't work. But if this works, Andalites and humanity, like, we're just going to come up hand in hand. Like, we will be on a team. Like, it's not going to matter. And also, what option do you have at this point? We end with Axe going back to the observatory, basically uh, getting in there, doing like one real quick message. The, the Yerk is still there, and they basically accepted that like, you know I'm here, I know you're here, mutually assured destruction, right? Yeah. Uh, you're going to let me make one last call, and then I'm going to get the fuck out of here, which personally I take issue with because at that point you should have killed that man. Yes, agreed. But they did make a deal with them. And so as far as they're concerned, they're holding up their end of the bargain. Little stupid, because... Little naive, certainly. Especially when you're fucking with Marco's family. Yeah, agreed. None of the other Animorphs know that this Yerk is at the observatory, but there is a Yerk controller who works with Marco's dad. Yep. And if the rest of the Animorphs knew who Marco's mom was, they may have made a different decision. Yeah, I, I think you kill that guy immediately. But they didn't. Yep. And instead, they just tell him, like, we're making one last call, and then we're going back. And he makes the call, and he gets a hold of them, like, hey, listen, uh, high command, yeah, no, we didn't, you know, Visser's still out there, we're still going to work on it. I did what I did, and we're going to see how this plays. Now, connect me to Prince Aloran's family. He sends his love. 
And that's our out note, is just Axe finally having broken through that sort of ingrained Andalite isolationism. And a classic military moment in any movie where you take the dog tags and deliver them to the family. Right. And also just the the moment of, with respect, sir, uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm the one who's here. I'm the one fighting this and doing everything. I'm the one that is on the ground. You need to respect my opinion and not, you know, keep me against these ancient rules of order that clearly aren't working right now. Uh, he has the whole conversation of, uh, I have a message I need sent to the wife of Aloran Semitur Karas from her husband. Lyrum, the uh, president, his eyes go wide. He knew exactly who Aloran was. Her husband sends his love. He still hopes for the day where he will be freed. Is that all you have to say? No, I have this to say too. You tried to save the hork and still live by all our laws, still keeping all our secrets, but you failed. Do not say what you are about to say, Aximili, Lyrum warned. Do not disobey the laws of our people. I... Prince Lyrum, these humans are my people now. And sir, with all due respect to the law and to you, I won't let the humans be destroyed as the hork were destroyed. Not while I live. Lyrum's eyes narrow dangerously. Must run in your family, he growled. You're just like your brother, Elfangor. I laughed. Thank you, Prince. Thank you very much. And it was a great little button on Axe so that we can be, okay, Here's where Axe fits in. Yep. Now we can start rolling with the story again. And now we have like we have all the background on the Andalites. We even get a little bit into Visser 3 because now he has an extra dimension. Because everybody knows he's controlling a body. But now it's a body with a family. A family yeah. he loves who has just received a message and a little bit of hope that they know their father, their husband is still alive. Visser 3 now has that extra added depth. Axe has a relationship with Tobias now that we've sat up. Axe, uh, or Tobias calls him Axeman. Yeah. That's his nickname. Uh, they are buddies. We now have full trust in the team, and we move forward. Uh, there is one thing I did want to address with you real quick. Do you want to do the next book next or do you want to double back for the megamorph because they did there was a point early on where they reference you know we're going on this we're taking a break you know we destroyed the Kendrono, we defeated the varic and you don't know what that is right because that's the megamorphs book oh i see what you're saying hmm okay you know what yeah, let's do it let's do what megamorphs book next instead because because we haven't touched one yet so yeah. let's do that next which one is that that is the first megamorphs, megamorphs book yeah yeah it right. gotcha. is what's the fucking title of that one the andalites the gift. andalites gift this is going to be uh narrated by all of them Ooh, i like that as is convenient per chapter uh so we've got a rotating narrator it is a book of as mentioned I keep referring to it as dubious continuity because we will occasionally reference that they happened. Okay. They will never matter. They're not like plot centric things. And the most we ever got out of that is there's a monster in this called the Varric and they're going to defeat it, which we do because there's no point in the middle of the series where the Animorphs all suddenly die. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But yeah. So that's where we're at. All right. Well, I look forward to reading that and talking about that next time. Fantastic. 
Thank you for joining us for Podspeak. Animorphs was written by K.A. Applegate. Our show is edited by Aram, and our theme music is composed by Kai Engel. For more information about us, ways to support the show, and to hear all of the podcasts we produce, head over to deadghostpro.com. And remember, the controllers are everywhere. was produced and edited by Dead Ghost Productions. Find out more about us and all the shows we make at deadghostpro.com.